Things that happen when you spend time with Jesus. So that's the title of the sermon. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of God. Please be seated. 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 12, things that happen when you spend time with Jesus. Of course, the theme of 1 Peter is strength and comfort and suffering. Strength and comfort and suffering. Last week we talked about for your marriage to survive and thrive, husbands and wives must stay in their order. And we talked a lot about what staying in your order means. And for the wife, it was to submit to her husband, which is not a very popular word today in our culture, submission. Uh, the word is hupotasso. It's a military term that means stay in your rank. It speaks of order, not value. Order, not value. Her order is to submit to her husband. Really, this is not an impossible task because Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father, and he was our example. Remember, in verse 21, 2.21, we saw, saw these words that we should follow in Jesus' steps. We are to walk in his steps, to follow in his steps. Uh, because of the fall, remember that the wife's curse, her curse, was her desire would be for her husband. And we developed that word desire. The desire was tesh, tesh yuga, and it means to stretch out after, to yearn for. She's going to have to, a yearning for her husband, but I will submit to you that I believe that the fall made the female, made the woman, hypersensitive. The other thing, the, the word desire is teshuga in the Hebrew, number one, but the, its root is shug, S-H-U-G, and means to rule over or to run over. The wife is going to have the affinity for the husband to run after him. Her desire is to be for him, but at the same time, she's going to have this innate desire to rule over him, to control him, maybe to be hypercritical. And she's going to be overly sensitive. The woman's greatest fear is to be treated as an object by an insensitive husband. And the greatest need that a woman has is love. Is love. And that's what the man's command to do is to love his wife. The man's greatest fear is to be ruled over by his wife. That's her curse. That's what she's going to want to do. So she has to push that down. And, and, and the other thing that the guy really is, is concerned about is be, being found inadequate. He needs respect. Now, if the wife stays in her order by submitting to the husband, that helps the husband to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Conversely, if the husband stays in his order and loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, a servant leader, that helps the wife to carry out her order of submitting to the husband. When both stay in their order, the marriage thrives. When both do not stay in their order, insist on my way, my rights, my will, I got to have it my way, it ends up being a sin and a mess. Husbands, likewise, submit to God's order. Remember, the husband's had a very specific task in relationship to the wife. Now, because the wife is hypersensitive, because the woman, the female, is hypersensitive, the man has to do this. He has to dwell with them with understanding. That is verse 7. 
to dwell with them in understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. And it isn't weaker spiritually or emotionally, it's weaker physically. It's weaker physically. And being heirs together of the grace of, of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So the man has a very strong calling from God to dwell with his wife with understanding, to know his wife, to know her needs, to know her fears, to know her desires, know what makes her tick, know her deeply and know her intimately and create a safe place for her, a safe place spiritually, emotionally, physically. That's his number one job. His number one priority on earth from an earthly standpoint is his wife. It's not work. It's not sports. It's not hanging out with the guys. It's not watching TV. It's not playing video games on the computer. Your number one job, men, with, in regards to your wife, is, is, is to dwell with her with understanding. Create a safe place, a good place for her. Now, the husband must harness his post-fall insensitivity. Because Adam wasn't, wasn't made insensitive. After the fall, he became insensitive. She might be hypersensitive, but he is insensitive. And he must harness that in order to accomplish his dwelling with her with understanding. He has to go out of his way. And guess what, men? The biggest thing that you have to do with your wife is that you have to communicate with her. Grunts don't work. Remember, we talked about grunt communication. <clears throat> That's not communication. Now, there's a warning for the insensitive husband that if you are insensitive to your wife, you do not create a dwelling place that is, that is safe for her. You do not try to meet her needs. Remember, her, her desire is going to be to run after you. You have to create an environment that is conducive for her to be able to submit. You have to create a dwelling place that you allow her to have a place of safety, a place where she can be honored, a place where she can be understood. And that is our job. And it will take you your whole life, men, to understand them. This is not something that happens automatically. This is a work in progress, believe me. Well, you must do that. And if you do not do that, the Scripture says your prayers will be hindered. And you know what that means? That's not a soft word. That means cut off. Cut off completely. Cut down, not heard. For your marriage to survive and thrive, staying in your order, both husbands and wives, is essential. It's not an option. It's essential. Now, this week, things that happen when you spend time with Jesus, and our, our theme of, of submitting is going to be a, continued here. He's going to sum, these, sum up these verses with, the, with what we're going to study today, the submission verses. Staying in your order, things that happen when you spend time with Jesus, and I will submit to you that anybody that spends time with Jesus can change. You can change. You have, you have trouble being sensitive to your, to your wife, you can change, man. You can change. And woman, you can, if you have trouble submitting, you can change. The whole thing works if you spend time with Jesus and become a different person. Become a different person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, please take these words. Make them understandable. Help us to hear from you today the things that you want us to hear. What we need to have inside our hearts. Oh God, speak to us. We need to hear from you the king of the universe. Thank you for each person that's here to hear these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Things that happen when you spend time with Jesus. Signs that you're actually growing up. Signs that you're actually changing and maturing. Now, Peter's summing up in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8. 
He's summing up all the things about submission, all about things about submission. And, and believe me, this is very contrary to the world because submission is not a popular word. It's very difficult for people to do. can't actually do it on your own. It's against our natural inclinations. If we live like Peter tells us, we will indeed be unique within this culture. And the culture will see something different than they normally see. It'll be a powerful witness for God. The world will know that we have been with Jesus. And we will look more and more like him. Now, thinking about growing up, thinking about uh, becoming more mature, I want to suggest to you that growing up and maturity is not a matter of, a matter of age. It's great to see a six-month-old baby, cuddly, warm, that sort of thing. It is awful to see a 60-year-old baby. Age is not a sign of maturity. Chuck Swindoll says this, En route to maturity, we all spill our milk, say things we shouldn't, and at times don't act our age. At times we act like two-year-olds throwing a temper tantrum. At other times we pout like pubescent children. Still other times we go through sweeping mood swings like an awkwardly adjusting teenager. This process is called growing up. And it's painful. We struggle through it more by trial and error than we do by unfaltering charm school grace. Consequently, every now and then we skin our elbow, bruise our knee, or bloody our nose from falling on our faces. Growing up, sooner or later, we all have to do it. And the sooner we do it, the easier it will be to walk the uneven and sometimes uncertain sidewalks of faith. Growing up, I really believe this. We cannot grow up unless we spend time with Jesus. We can't be all that we're going to be unless we spend time with him. And I mean daily. I mean regularly. There's too many things pulling us away. Things that happen when you spend time with Jesus or abiding in Christ, as, a, as the scripture calls it. Verse 8, we see this. A sure sign, a sure sign that you're spending time with Jesus is unity. Is unity. Watch this. It finally, he's again, a, a summation of, of chapter 2, verse 11, to this point. Finally, all of you be of one mind. That is united. That is united. Having compassion for one another. Now, this unity is what, these following things, I think, are what unity looks like. Compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted and be courteous. Be courteous. A huge grown-up attribute, folks, is unity. When you see it in the church, that's a mature church. When you see it in a family, that's a family that's growing up. When you see it in an individual, that's an individual that's growing up. All of you, the church, singles, husbands, wives, parents, children, everything that comprises the church, all of us, all of us are to be of one mind, like-minded, be in agreement with what the Holy Spirit has taught us through his word. Submit to one another. That's what it says in Ephesians 5.21. We are to mutually submit to one another. And then it goes into the wife submitting to her husband. Submission is not just for the wife. It is for all of us together. We are all hupotasso to put ourselves under each other. We are to submit to the government. We are to submit to our masters. The scripture is replete with like-mindedness. Examples of unity. Jesus is the epitome of unity. In John 17.22, he says this that they may be one as we are one. He's talking about the Father and the Son. He's talking about the Godhead. 
that we may have perfect unity, that we and the body of Christ may have perfect unity like is in the Godhead, unity. Paul in Romans 12, 5 says this, we being many are one body in Christ. Unity, unity, all of us. Hey, some people have spiritual gifts. We're all different in our spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, everybody's not a heart or a brain or a hand or a toe or a this or a that. Every part is important. Every part is needed. Everybody is needed in this, in this thing called the church. Unity, being, we being many, are one body in Christ, one together. I tell you, you think you're not important? Try stubbing your toes sometime. You know, turf toe can end an athlete's career. That is a turf toe. Your big toe becomes inflamed. You are done with athletics. You think you're not important? You're just a toe? You are important. Everybody's important in the body of Christ. Everybody. Then we had Paul saying this in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. He's talking to two ladies that are fighting with each other, Yodia and Sinche. They're quarreling, and he urged them to be of one mind. Be of one mind. How in the world is unity accomplished? How do we go from self-centeredness, I-centeredness, me, myself, and I to other-centeredness? And I will suggest to you it is exclusively by spending time with Jesus. He is the one that changes you. You don't get up one day and say, I'm going to change. I really mean it this time. I'm not going to be the same me. It doesn't work that way. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and it comes with time with God. It comes with time with him. Now, signs that you have been spending time with Jesus, signs that you are growing up. And he gives us first one, compassion. Compassion. Love, it, love the brothers. Tenderhearted. Sympathy towards one another is what we're really looking at here. Spending time with Jesus allows you to look more like Jesus. And I will tell you that the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, is demonstrated all through the Scripture. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, we read these words. Now listen to this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That was his message. That was the absolute priority message that Jesus had, the gospel message of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. Repent and change. Repent and change. Repent and turn. And then he healed everybody, and healing every sickness and every disease. You know what he was doing? He was taking authority over the demonic realm, over the chaos in this world, and he brings a calm to it. Enter Jesus, enter calm. Exit Jesus, enter chaos. That's what happens in your life. Healed every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, watch this, he was moved with compassion, sympathy, tender-hearted, love, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Folks, we are to be moved with compassion. One of the things that unity produces is compassion for people that are around us. This is how we are, are when we spend time with Jesus, when we abide in Christ. We become more compassionate, tender-hearted to those who are around us. We change. This whole Christian thing is change. And it's not just, okay, I changed. I made it, I changed. No, that is not how it works. It is a lifetime of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. A lifetime. And notice this last one. Something lacking in our world today. Courteous. Now, is that lacking or what? 
courteous. You know what it means? It means a friendly mind. It means humble. These are qualities that are not natural. These are not innate to the human species. Now, it might have been innate to Adam and Eve before the fall, but it has not been. Anybody, nobody's had this since then. It is not something that is in us. It's not the way we are, particularly Westerners, where we are, where we are programmed as, I am the greatest. I am wonderful. I am terrific. Focuses on me and what I get out of everything. Now, I will submit to you, when you spend time with Jesus, this changes. This changes. This happens when you spend time with Jesus. You actually get involved in people's lives. You actually get involved in people's lives. You look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, speak more like Jesus, sound more like Jesus. You're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. You're getting involved. And you do ministry. Now, Matthew 20, 28 says this, Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served. Now, this is Jesus coming, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, that's our calling. We are to serve and give our life a ransom for many. It's a sacrificial life. All of these qualities of unity are ministry qualities. One mind, compassion. Ministry means servant. You know, you see these guys, the guy will put minister on the back of his bumper. Minister. And it's kind of like this prideful, I'm a minister. And I'm thinking, hold it, why don't you just put servant? Why don't you just put bond servant down there? Instead of give me the front parking spot, give me the back parking spot. We are to extol other people. That's just a side note. I got off on something there. But anyway, <laughs> qualities of ministry, compassion, love, tenderhearted, courteous. It's not natural. It's not the thing that we are normally programmed to do. The principle is this. Those who minister together are stronger together. Let me say that again. You do life together. You serve together. You are stronger together. You are stronger together. There's a spiritual connection that we get from one another, and it's produced with time with Jesus. There's nothing like ministry together drawing strength from one another that fosters unity. I want to give you an example. Now, this was written in Reader's Digest, and it is, What Good is a Tree? And it says this, it explained that when the roots of trees touch, there's a substance that reduces competition, blends the trees together. In fact, the unknown fungus helps like roots of different trees, even of dissimilar species, a whole forest may be linked together. If one tree has access to water, another to nutrients, and a third to sunlight, the trees have the means to share with one another. Like trees in a forest, Christians in the church need and support one another. We benefit from one another. We benefit from each other's strength. I mean, you're strong in one area. I benefit from that. Another area, I benefit from that. Oh, it's such a great thing. United, folks, we stand. Hey, Jesus in Matthew 12, 25 says this, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And let me suggest this to you. Satan's goal, his strategy is dissent. His strategy is chaos. His strategy is separation. His strategy is to get you away so you cannot draw strength from one another. You cannot draw strength from the Savior. You're isolated. Remember what Proverbs says? Proverbs 18.1. The man who isolates himself rails against all judgment. He isolates himself. It is against what God wants him to do. It's against what God wants him to do. Why? Because it makes him weaker. 
It makes him weaker. We draw strength from one another. We draw strength from one another. A sign that you have been with Jesus is that you're touching one another, much like the trees. We are drawing strength from one another. Hebrews 10.25, remember, says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Even more as you see the day approaching will we need to draw strength from one another. Even more as the time gets worse, we'll need to draw strength from one another. Very important principle. Very important principle. Verse 9 says this, A sign that you have been with Jesus is, watch this, a controlled tongue. Now we talked about unity, being with Jesus. I'll tell you what, spending time with Jesus, you're going to start to develop a different way that you speak. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling or insult for insult or abusive language for abusive language. But on the contrary, blessing, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We bless those that we may be blessed by our God, even though they're railing at us. That's the principle. That's the principle. And it's important. It's not resorting to the fleshly counterattacks. The natural thing is a counterattack. You say something to me, and right away you want to attack in return. Another impossible task. It's impossible in our natural man. A quality of the old man who died but resurrects in our lives. A quality of the old man is this. Anger. Remember in Colossians 3.8. 3.8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Filthy language coming out of your mouth. These are an overflow of the old man, of the old man, of the old way. We are to put off the old man. The way it works with the old man is you insult me, I insult you. Retaliation is the name of the game. Getting even is the mantra of our culture, of the world system. Not returning evil for evil is not natural. It's supernatural. We have to go beyond ourselves. This is a supernatural thing that happens. And I will tell you, the peace of God that passes all understanding is supernatural. Patience with people is supernatural. It's macrothumia, patient with people, slow to heat up, slow to pay back in kind. And it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, generous. Patience. Patience. It comes with spending time with Jesus. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. Patience is a fruit of spending time with Jesus, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing on your own. You must draw your strength from Jesus. We are connected to one another, we draw strength from one another, and we draw our strength from the Master. That is the essential part of this. Jesus is our model, not the world. It's not professional sports stars, and it is not government leaders. That is not our model. That's, that's not our model. Hear the words of Peter. Now remember this. We've, we've mentioned this verse several times. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. And remember, Peter is writing this in the face of Nero persecution, in the face of people being lighted up on the roadways as candlesticks, as being slaughtered and tortured in unspeakable ways, torn into wild dogs chomping on them. This is the environment that Peter is in, and he says these words. Amazingly, this is only a God thing. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's our model. We can't do that unless we have spent time with Jesus, unless we're drawing strength from Jesus. We cannot get that from spending time with our buddies. You will not get that in video games. You will not get that by doing all the things that the culture wants to draw you away from God. You won't get it from there. You must get it from spending time with Christ. It's discipline. It's not easy to get up every day. It is not easy to spend time with him every day. But it is essential. It is essential. Look at When you can hold your tongue, when everything in your being is screaming, payback, payback, this is a huge sign that you're growing up, that you're growing wise, and may I submit to you that you have touched Jesus. You have touched Jesus. How touchy are we, folks? How thin-skinned are we? How thin-skinned are you? That's the question. Proverbs 12, 16 says this, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. That is supernatural. That only comes with spending time with Christ. You cannot do this in the natural. We can't do that. A controlled tongue is not natural. It comes with spending time with Jesus and drawing our strength from him, touching Jesus. That's where it comes from. Now, we've talked about unity, what unity looks like, compassion, love, tenderhearted. We talked about a controlled tongue, not returning evil for evil. All this stuff is supernatural. All this stuff comes from spending time with Christ. In verse 10 through 12, this happens when you spend time with Jesus and you're living out the Christ Christian life for real. Watch this. God's eyes are on you. That's a special thing. The eyes of the Lord are on you when you carry this out. Verse 10 through 12. For he who would love life and see good days. Now, who doesn't want that? Love life and to see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. You know, you can do that. You can do that. Because God's spirit is in you. You can turn away from evil and do good. Let him, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Oh, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is a quote from Psalm 34. A quote from Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is talking about the happiness of those who trust in God. Let me just share with you a few verses from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now that's somebody who spent time with Jesus. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make it my shall my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And deliver me from all of my fears. And they looked to him and were radiant. Isn't, don't you want that? He delivered me from all of my fears. It's the fear of the bump that came up. 
It's the fear of the finances. It's the fear of what in the world is Trump going to do next with the, with the economy. It's the fear of what in the world is going to happen in North Korea, which looks peaceful now, or in Iran. Or Turkey is raising up, which falls right in line with one of those countries that's going to be an end-time country troublemaker. Turkey. Okay, that's rising up. We don't have to fear. I sought the Lord. He heard me. Deliver me from all of my fears. And their faces, we were not ashamed. The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. Now skip over to verse 12. It says this. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days? Who is that person? That's all of us, really. That, that he may see good. How do you do that? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then he goes back where Peter has quoted this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Oh, and his ears are attentive to their cry or their prayers. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Look at you do things that are wrong. God's face is against you. His eyes are not on you. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And this evil is the evil tongue, the evil lips, referring back to, to verse 13. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears him and delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Isn't that great? That's just like Jesus. He is near to those who have a broken and contrite heart. Look, when we realize that we haven't done this thing rightly, all we have to do is just turn to the Lord, turn to Jesus. And how does, what does he do? He doesn't go, oh, you did it again. Oh, I can't believe you're coming back again. He never does that. He always has his arms wide open. He is embracing you to come back. And he, he, just, he just grabs you like, like the prodigal son when he came back. His dad just grabbed him and hugged him and squeezed him. That's what he does. That's, that's our God. He is compassionate and loving and kind. A broken and contrite. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Oh, but the Lord delivers them from the all. This is where Peter is, is quoting. He is quoting, God's eyes are on those who avoid the evil tongue. Who avoid the evil tongue. It's a sign you've been with Christ. In 1 Peter 3.10, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 140 verse 3 might be a help to you, a memory verse for you. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Oh, Lord, watch over the door of my mouth. Guard my mouth. Watch over the door of my lips. That's a memory verse for me. When you're type A and you're quick to speak instead of slow to speak, you've got to memorize stuff like this to help you. God's eyes are on you, folks. His eyes are on you. God's eyes are on you when you turn away from evil and do good. God's eyes are on you when you seek peace and pursue it. Now, I want you to think about something. There's a caution here that I want to give you. Now, we become like the people we hang with. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? That is true. That is a true statement. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. That's how I know. That's how I know. Careful with your friends, folks. Proverbs 12, 26 says this. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Oh, it's so important. So important. You want God's eyes on you? Don't be led astray. Don't be hanging with those that are going to lead you down the primrose path of destruction. 
Watch this. Those with the Holy Spirit power, those with a controlled tongue, those who turn away from evil and do good, those who seek peace and pursue it. They, the benefits are these. The benefits are these. His ears are open to their cry. His ears are open to their prayers. Do you want your prayers answered? Then do what God asks you to do. Turn to him. Avoid the things that keep you separated from God. Remember, sin separates you from God. You, had, you have God's full attention. His full, and when he has his eyes are on you, that means that you have his attention and you have his favor. You have his favor on you, and he will make your paths straight. Straight. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Not half-hearted committed. And he will make your path straight. Conversely, if you do things your way, self-centeredness, self-centeredness, relying on situational ethics. This is what I do in this situation. Forget what God says. This is what I do. This is how I get out of this mess. Seek my way in the situation. Forget God. I did it my way, like, you know, Frank Sinatra. Wrong way. Wrong way. And everybody applauds. Oh, you did it your way. Yes, no. Wrong way. If we rationalize, justify my actions, God's favor will not be on you no matter how fervently you pray. No matter how fervently you pray. How do I know that? Because Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. That's the truth. That's the truth. His eyes will not be on you. He will not hear you. He will not have the favor of God. Look, God wants to favor us. He constantly wants his people to confess their sins. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He constantly wants his people to turn and live. To turn and live. You know, that is, that's repentance. Turning towards God. Turn and live. He, 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 he pleads with people to do this. God has no desire no desire to be separated from people. It's people that separate themselves from God. He's doing everything to embrace humanity. Watch this. Watch Jesus' example. God wants to favor you. And it has to do with the nation of Israel. Hear the words of Jesus dealing with his people. Who he came to his own, his own received him not. His heart is broken. Watch these words in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now that is, is, is just ripe with passion, ripe with compassion, ripe with, with emotion. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Prophet after prophet after prophet, turn and live, turn and live. Israel, turn and live, turn and live. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Turn to me. Resist the idols. Resist the false gods. Turn, turn, turn. And they resisted, and they resisted, and they killed the prophets. They stuck Jeremiah in a cistern, and he sunk down in the mucky water. And they left him there until somebody came and drug him out. That's what they did to the prophets. Oh, watch Jesus. Uh, oh, how I wanted to gather you as a, gather your children. This is tender. 
as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. You shall see me no more until you see, see, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, until they repent, until they return. God's heart, God's heart is turn and live, turn and live. Come back, come back. It, it is just so passionate here. It's just so passionate. And these people that Jesus is pouring his heart out to, they rejected Jesus. They did not have the favor of God. And in 70 AD, 70 AD, 38 years later, 37 years later after Jesus dies, 70 AD, Jerusalem is overrun by the armies of Titus from Rome. Titus is the general. The city is destroyed. The temple is destroyed, and one million plus Jews died because they did not know the time of their visitation. They would not be gathered as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. They refused. When you spend time with Jesus, God's eyes are on you, and you have his favor. And I will submit to you that life is simply better the Jesus way. Look, it's never easy here. Okay? This journey is full of potholes. Just right on the road, that's a picture of your life. Big ones, little ones, all different shapes and sizes of potholes. But your life is better with Jesus, doing it the Jesus way. No question about it. Now, in conclusion, things that happen when you spend time with Jesus... The Christian life is a life lived for Christ, not live for self, live for Christ. All of us are in a process of change. The Bible calls this putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Putting off the old. You have the Spirit of God in you. You can do this. You can do this. Our text this week gives us signs to help us to know that we are progressing and yielding to the Holy Spirit and being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Things that happen when we spend time with Jesus. Unity. Unity. What does unity look like? Compassion. Love. Tenderhearted. Courteous. What else? No evil tongue. We're starting to get a little control of our tongue. This is a character trait, folks. When we are changing, our character is changing. Jesus is changing our character. He's changing who we are. I don't ever want to be who I was. I don't ever want to be that person. When I go back to that person, every now and then, Chris and I get in a fight. Yes, that does happen. And you know what? I go back to the old Rick. I hate that guy. I hate him. I don't even know him. When he comes out, I'm going, I am. I don't even understand why I did that, why I said that. It is so foreign to me. It is so foreign to me. He's dead. But every now and then, he wants to resurrect God never saves you to remain the same. Change is part of every Christian life. Change is, is, is uncomfortable, but it is essential. It's uncomfortable to change. It's uncomfortable to be stretched. Look at our flesh wants the status quo. Our flesh wants everything to remain the same. And when you get saved and you start making progress in your Christian life, guess what? The tug is going to be really strong to go back to the cesspool because your flesh will fight you every step of the way. And guess what? He has partners. 
You have the world system that you live in partnering with your flesh, and you have Satan. Remember the triunity that's against you, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They all want you to go back to old you. That's what they're doing. Look at, listen to this. Your flesh will scream out for the old ways to return, to cave in. The siren call of the flesh to turn back, to compromise. But God has given you something that is way, 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 can I say it one more time? Way stronger than your flesh. And that is the Holy Spirit of God who empowers you to say no to your flesh and yes to your spirit. But it's up to you to walk in that. It's up to you to walk in that. To change, to yield to the Holy Spirit. And I will suggest to you, watch how much better and how different your life will be. Now, questions to ponder. How are you doing? How are you doing? When I, if I'm hearing something like this, I'm going, oh, I'm not doing so good now, but I was doing better two days ago. I was really good then. Yeah, how are you doing? Are you drawing strength from Jesus? Are you connected with the body? Are you drawing strength from one another? And are you touching the master and drawing strength from him? That's the important thing. How are you doing with unity in the church, in the home, and work, in your family, with your kids, with your extended family? How are you doing with all that? Husband and wife, how is your compassion meter functioning? Life is better when you spend time with Jesus, when you are connected to the root of Jesus, when you're drawing strength from him. Next one, how are you doing with returning evil for evil? When that guy cuts you off on the freeway, thank you, Holy Spirit. Getting even, paying back, evil tongue. Remember, Jesus is our model. 1 Peter 2.21 is our go-to verse. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Not following your steps or the way you feel. Forget your feelings. Do what is right. Do what is right. Spend time with Christ. Change your responses. Change your script. Change your script. And then number three, how are you doing? How are you doing with God's favor? Are God's eyes are on you? How's your tongue? How's your turning away from evil? How is your seeking peace and pursuing it with other people? Remember, blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker or are you a warmonger? Are you stirring it up or are you calming the waters? Not paying back. Folks, you are indeed growing up and God's eyes and favor are on you when you do these things. The eyes of the Lord are on you. Please hear this. There's three places in Scripture that talk about God's eyes being on you. 2 Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord range about the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's eyes are on you to strengthen you. Write that down, strengthen you. His eyes are on you to strengthen you. Secondly, Psalm 33.8 says this, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You know why God's eyes are on you? To protect you. When you're walking in God's favor, he protects you. Absolutely. In Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and their ears are open to their cry. He hears you. He hears your prayers. You have his favor. He will enter into your situation. Look at He strengthens you. He protects you. He hears you. He enters into your situation on your behalf. 
if you are walking the way that he wants you to walk. It's conditional. He loves us. He calls us. He wants to have us like chicks under, under the wings. Remember in, in, in Matthew? That's his desire for us. That's his desire for us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that you, you, now look at Ken Graves is a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he gives an example of a possum dead on the side of the road. And that possum, you don't know if he's dead or not, so you kick him and a little gas comes out. So you know that he's dead. You roll the possum over and out of his eyes come maggots. A great illustration. Great illustration, yes. Again, Ken Graves, not Rick Gorm. Ken Graves. But again, it gets better because you're going to want to claim this for yourself in a second. So he says, think about this. Those maggots are nasty, aren't they? But Jesus came from heaven, and he became a maggot to save fellow maggots. He became like us. What an illustration. That's how far Christ came. That's the best illustration he could come. I used to think about the ant. Oh, he comes from heaven. We're ants. We're, we're minuscule. But this is so much better because a maggot is like detestable. It's detestable. But he came and became one of us to save us from our detestable state. What an illustration. Can you imagine having the attention of God, the favor of God, one so great, so mighty, so vast, so awesome, is focusing his favor on you? Of all humanity, six plus billion people on earth, and God focuses right on you because you love his son, because you have spent time with his son. God's focus, his eyes are on you. What a privilege. What an honor. God's eyes are on you. The eyes of the Lord are on you. Folks, the road to maturity is, is fostered by time with Jesus. It is paved with bumps and bruises. It is not easy becoming mature. Look, at maturity is, is, a, is something that happens because we have to. I didn't want to become responsible. I didn't want to get a job every day. I couldn't believe it. At 18, I'm thinking, i got to work forever. It's going to be forever. i got to go to work. Oh, I can't believe this. And be responsible. And then all of a sudden, you have a child. And then the child becomes more important than yourself. And you have a wife, and she's starting to become more important than yourself as you're maturing, because you still want your way, okay? Still wants your way. And God changes you. He matures you. It's bumps and bruises, and it's, and it's not an easy journey, but, oh, it's so much smoother with Jesus. I can guarantee you that. Hopefully, these following words will help you. Let me just focus on this for just a second. Thinking about spending time with Jesus, thinking about growing up and becoming more mature, just a few quotes here. John McNaughton says this, Maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing your concerns for yourself. Let me say that again. Maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing the concern for yourselves. This is a sure sign that you have been with Jesus and his eyes are on you, and it is a sure sign that you are connected and that you are drawing strength from the Master. A sure sign. Secondly, Chuck Swindoll makes this remark. One of the marks of maturity is the ability, oh listen, to disagree without becoming disagreeable. 
How hard is that? How hard is that in your marriage? When you're not exactly getting along with your wife or your husband, and you're in disagreement, and you want to fire back in the same mode. How hard is that? It is hard to do, but it's a sign that you're growing up and growing wise when you, can, when you have the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. And then thirdly, the last one is, well, two more, is this, Fred Cook says this, maturity is the ability to do a job, whether supervised or not, finish it once it has started, carry money without having to spend it, and bear an injustice without wanting to get even. How hard is that? Folks, that is a Jesus trait. Only happens when you spend time with Jesus. Only accomplished with him. This is a character change, folks. This is a transformation. This is a transformation from an old you to a new you. The old you that you don't want to know anymore. Into the new you that you want to be. And finally, maturity is moving on. Maturity is moving from soft skin, tough heart, to tough skin, soft heart. In other words, every time someone says something to you, it isn't so crushing that you need to get back, but you have a tender heart towards them. That's time with Jesus. That's not natural. That's not natural. And I will tell you, all of this has to do with what a difference Jesus makes in our lives. What a difference. There was a song that was written by Archie Jordan. Nobody knows him, but it was sung by Amy Grant and Ronnie Millsap. And the song is, What a difference you made in my life. What a difference you made in my life. And then this is the key verse. What a change you have made in my heart. What a change you have made in my heart. This is Jesus. He changes us. You replaced all the broken parts. You replaced all the broken parts. Oh, what a change you have made in my heart. That's what the master does. That's what the master does. That's what Jesus does. Folks, if you can identify these traits in yourself, it could be signs that you've spent time with Jesus and that your character is changing, that you're being transformed into the image of Christ. Our lives do change for the better when we spend time with Jesus and do life his way. It's just that simple. Jesus does make a huge difference. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this time that we could spend in your word. We are thankful for how you have worked in our lives, even this week. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you that you have been with us, Lord, the myriad of times that we don't even recognize that you have been there to strengthen us to protect us, to hear our Nehemiah prayers at the last second. Oh, Lord, do this or that. Lord, you are there. Your eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Thank you for teaching us today what it means to have the eyes of the Lord on us, what it means about spending time with Jesus and how that actually changes us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is truth in a world that is running from truth. Thank you that you have given us ultimate truth that we can build our lives on confidently. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each person that's here. Use this in each one of us, Lord, any way that you choose. We have each heard something different here today that has impacted us. And may we not just hear it, but put it into action. Change us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.